Our second lectionary text for today comes from one of the first letters of Paul to the people called Thessalonians. May you hear these words. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When they say there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and there will be no escape. But you, beloved, are not in darkness. For that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. So then let us not fall asleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who are drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober and put on the breastplate of faith and love. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has destined us not to wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with him. And therefore encourage one another and build up each other, as indeed you are doing. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. What are you afraid of? Spiders and snakes? Bears, oh my. Darkness, heights. Perhaps you're afraid that someone will break into your house. This must be a huge fear today because I don't know about you, but someone calls me or leaves flyers in my mailbox all the time about statistics of home break-ins and telling me that if I want security that I need to buy their product. Purchase this or their services. It seems like to me that fear is in the air. Cancer, war, conflict, Ebola, whatever scary disease is next. Political victories and losses, economic meltdowns. Last week, our board of trustees was in, and I was talking with one of my favorite persons on the board. He owns a business down in the Charleston area, and I asked him how business was doing, and he said, you know, it is great, way too easy right now. Everything is just booming, exploding, and I know that I should be enjoying it, but I'm sort of getting afraid. I feel like it's 2007 and the bottom is just going to drop out next year. Things just can't continue to be this good. You know, even when things are going good for us, we are fearful that it is too good to be true. And of course, today, everywhere we look, we have a new villain to worry about. A new threat against which we are to brace ourselves. A new 
terrorist organization that is on the move. And of course, let us not forget uh, mass shootings in schools and theaters and malls. It could happen at any moment. And if that's not enough to put fear inside of us, we often, in the church and in the college, worry about the church and the college. The United Methodist Church, after all, has been in decline in the United States since the 1960s, growing wildly in Africa and Asia. The demographics of this country, though, have shifted drastically. Seventy percent of all United Methodist churches lie in rural areas today, while nearly 80 percent of the entire U.S. population lies in urban and suburban areas. So the average uh, worship attendance in the majority of United Methodist churches is less than 100 people. The average age of a United Methodist member is over 65. I think it's around 70. The United Methodist church is struggling with social issues and power struggles that threaten to split the church. And small liberal arts colleges are not in much better shape as far as worrying with the rise of online and for-profit colleges and the constant technology changes that are occurring in society and the emphasis today about just getting a job and, and against liberal arts in many ways, not to mention, of course, being in a single gender setting such as we are at Columbia College. Fear is all around us. And everyone, of course, no matter what job or career you're in, is dealing with rising health care costs and the cost of insurance and the decline in retirement benefits. There are tons and tons of things to be fearful of. Indeed, fear is in the air. It's all around us. But this is nothing new, of course. It's nothing new at all. Every generation has this. The world has always been a scary place. Scary because we do not know what the future holds. We are scared of the unknown. We ask, what if? What will happen in that? That is what the disciples were asking. Thessalonians is by the way, most scholarly accounts, the oldest part of the entire New Testament, certainly written uh, well before any of the gospel accounts that we have, and is the earliest letter that we have of Paul's. It's important in understanding the text that the disciples literally thought that Jesus was returning in their lifetime. So they had a very legitimate question for Paul. What will happen? What will happen with those among us who have died since Jesus has been gone? Will, will they be left behind? Will they be left in the grave? What will it be like when Jesus returns? So Paul is responding not as a theologian, but as a pastor. He's giving a 
a little pastoral assurance, attempting to respond to their fears. And he says something that is relevant for us today as well. He reminds them that God had not destined them or us for wrath, but for salvation. He reminds them to encourage one another and build one another up. He reminds them of the three greatest attributes or virtues that a follower of Christ can have. Faith, love, and hope. He, of course, mentions these several times in several of his letters. Probably the most popular one is 1 Corinthians 13. We know that one because we hear it at weddings, we hear it at funerals. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Love wins the day in Corinthians. But here in Thessalonians, hope seems to to take the center stage. So when I read this passage, I felt like it was mainly about fear and hope. Hence the the title of the sermon. But I thought, when Will asked me for a title, I thought, oh, well, surely I can come up with something catchier than fear and hope. I mean, two little words, you know. So I thought I would Google fear and hope um, and see what came up and see if I could read something that would be a nice little catchy title, you know. So I googled it. You know what came up first? Probably not, but I was surprised. The Hunger Games. (laughs) If you're not familiar with The Hunger Games, it is one of the latest dystopian trilogies uh, in a book series that's very popular and became so popular in the books that they, of course, made it into movies. The third movie in the series, Mockingjay, is coming out this week, on Friday, as a matter of fact. Except, of course, as Hollywood does, they split the last book into two movies, so they make a lot more money that way. So it's Mockingjay Part 1. Anyway, the quote from Hunger Games that came up when I typed in Fear and hope was, hope is the only thing stronger than fear. The Hunger Games. It was on posters and t-shirts and and all sorts of stuff that they were selling with the Hunger Games. I think that it was said a long time before the Hunger Games. Hope is stronger than fear. But it now seems to be a part of our popular culture. And I think that's probably because fear seems to be so rampant in our society today. The idea that hope is stronger than fear is appealing in each and every generation that has ever lived. Whether that's for the Thessalonians in Paul's day or the South Carolinians in our own time. You know, within our Christian tradition, I believe that we have two of the greatest symbols of hope of any religion in the world. And I teach world religions. They are used on our two biggest holy days, Christmas and Easter. 
The symbols of hope are of a new baby and an empty tomb. Both symbols of new life, of new opportunities, of hope. It is what the Christian faith begins with and ends with. The Alpha and the Omega, if you will. Hope. Well, I do believe that hope is stronger than fear. Because I see it every single day. It may be the reason that I work at Columbia College, to be quite honest. Because in the midst of debilitating fear within our society, I get to work with students who come to college because they believe in a better tomorrow. They come from all sorts of backgrounds and socioeconomic classes. They come from all over South Carolina and lots of other states as well. They come from other countries. This year we have seven students from Vietnam. We have a Palestinian student from Gaza. A student from Korea, Bulgaria, England, Germany, Mexico, Venezuela, and other countries. They come halfway around the world. One, because we're pretty awesome. And two, because they have hope. Hope that their future will be better. Hope that education will help rise them up out of poverty. And that is, by the way, what John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, said was the number one way out of poverty. And why Methodists have started more colleges and universities and institutions of higher education than any other denomination. And we're the only denomination that began out of a university. Students come to college because they have hope. Columbia College, our logo is one of hope. I wish I would have brought a picture of it or, or something to hold up right now. And I realized as I was sitting over there, doggone it, I've got the wrong folder. Usually my folders have a, a, the logo on it. This is a logo, but, it, but it's not the right one exactly. Uh, sort of, but it's hard to see. Our logo is one of columns. The columns are there because in 1964 when Wright Spears, your pastor, became our president and came to the college, many of you know that we had what was called the Great Fire. The Great Fire burned down the school. The big building called Old Main, which was quite big, it was classrooms and dormitories and all sorts of things, it was a huge building. And it burned in 1964, except for the columns right in the front. And they remained standing. And it became for us the symbol of hope. Wright Spears said that nothing has been destroyed here today that cannot be rebuilt. He gave those words of encouragement, those words to, to build up community. And those columns that remained standing became our logo, became symbols of hope for the college, hope for a brighter future, hope for tomorrow. 
I could give you dozens of examples of students who have given me hope. A student, a Palestinian student from Gaza, whose family was killed by an Israeli bombing in August. Both parents, two brothers, a nephew, and the hope and the courage that she has displayed. But when I was thinking about this, I, I actually thought of a different student. A student who had a brain aneurysm and a series of strokes while I believe she was in high school. She had been a top tennis player, from my understanding, like in the state. A top student. And now she has come to college. And she struggles, to be quite honest. She's a part-time student because it takes everything that she has to get through one or two courses at a time because her short-term memory is not the best. She walks with a limp. She's a very different person than what she was before the strokes, although I have only known her since. And I have known her as one of the most caring, sweet, loving, always smiling and thoughtful persons that I've probably ever met. Despite all the things that have happened to her at such a young age, she is a hope-filled person. I would say a symbol of hope. A movie that's coming out this week, Friday, Mockingjay. Mockingjay, by the way, is a hybrid of two birds. It's a symbol of hope for the people of Panem. Because it not only survived, but it thrived, despite many attempts to destroy it. It becomes the symbol for the rebellion, for the female hero becoming what I would call as the incarnation of the Mockingjay. The, the incarnation of hope. That should sound familiar to us as Christians. You know, this book series has so many theological themes in it and it's so popular today that our religion professor is teaching a course next semester around the theology of the Hunger Games. Of course, really it is her way to get students thinking about theology and a way to introduce deep theological issues in a fun way, like issues like the doctrine of the resurrection, the doctrine of the incarnation, doctrines ideas that give hope. But in the midst of fear, fear that is so thick and rampant that it's in the air, that is plaguing our society and every society that has ever lived, it would seem. In the midst of this fear, Paul tells the Thessalonians that every little thing is going to be alright. It's alright because we have hope in salvation. We have hope in resurrection. We have hope, not in a mocking jay, but in Jesus, the Christ. Our incarnation of hope. And folks, hope is stronger than fear. Hope is stronger than fear. May it be so for you and for me. Amen.